Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want us to start by just acknowledging where we are at. Um, and from there, gain a different vantage point. And when I say where we are at, I'm talking about in the natural, in the in the grand scheme of things, where our country is at right now, where uh, there's so much going on. This has been a tumultuous week uh, in our political sphere. I um, I had a good laugh on Thursday morning. I've been I don't know why I cannot tell you why, but I have to confess that I've been quite uncharacteristically emotionally invested in some of the um happenings of this week um i just have and i've, I've a few times this morning uh, not this morning in, in this week i've woken up or i've been praying in the evenings and just saying god i don't know why i'm feeling so affected by what i see going on around me praying for justice praying for the right things to happen and of course you know i i understand the mandate that god calls us to pray for our leaders which in times past has probably been more difficult than in times present. But I had a good, I had a good laugh on Thursday morning when I woke up early and I sat in the presence of God, thinking about the fact that the news headline said that while I was sleeping, Mr. Zuma uh, and his entourage made their way and he is now incarcerated. And I realized that he's now a prisoner, which means I now have to pray for him. <laughs> God tells us to go pray for, to be with. The incarcerated, the prisoners, the widows, and the poor. <laughs> and uh, and so I had to. And there's a new, there's a new, a new attitude and a new heart that I needed to to embrace. But I mean, we had all of that happening, and now we've got the the fallout of that. We've got the the riots and the um, and all of those things. So there's instability within our country at the moment. We've got the lockdown, which is currently progressing. Um, this is our second week. And I'm expecting, you know, I'm sure we all are that our president will very soon be addressing us, probably as soon as tonight or tomorrow evening, to say that I can't imagine him saying anything else other than we're either continuing as we are on level four, adjusted level four, or he's going to be tightening measures because the the spread of this Delta variant is 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 going like wildfire. And it's very close to home. Uh, I'm sure that now. Just to give you an idea, I, I, I'm sure they won't mind us, us sharing this, to ask you to, to pray. Many of you will remember Phil and Marley Minar. Well, Phil has been on a respirator since Tuesday in conscious sedation. He is not doing well. He's stable. They're, they're, they're hope, you know, his oxygen levels are good. They're upping and downing. But we need to pray for him because he's in a critical state. Marley also has not been well. She's been struggling. Uh, I, I hear that my, my youngest daughter's school principal is now being admitted to hospital. It seems there's many people around us, loved ones that we know of, that we care about, that are really struggling with this virus. I know some people come through, it's like a blip on the radar and they carry on with their lives. Other people, young and old, healthy, fit, and it's really hitting them and clapping them six love. I mean, the, the, the mayor of jail, how many political leaders have we lost this past month? Just this past week, the mayor of Johannesburg succumbed to, 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 to COVID. And so we're sitting in the midst of what seemed to be very dark and difficult times. 
And we, we, we don't close our eyes to that. We're not oblivious to what's going on around us. However, it's important for us to remember, I believe, where our help comes from. And it's important for us to remember whose we are in the midst of everything we're seeing going on. If you consider the scripture that Craig read this morning from Isaiah 45, I just want to go there and just highlight one or two things that, that came out and just stood out so powerfully for me. God says, I will go before you. And he says, even I calls you by name. I am the Lord. There is no other. There is no other God besides me. This is verse five. I will gird you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord. There is no other. I am the almighty one. I am the great one. I am the all sufficient one. And I think for me, this week has been a real week of, of pondering that very fact. And what I want to share with you this morning is, is, is to recalibrate, if you like, to realign our thoughts, our expectations on the greatness of who our God is. Because when we see things around us going on and all these things, Jesus warned us these things would be happening, but they in no way diminish the greatness of who our God is. They no way diminish his power, his ability to come into our situations, to intervene. It in no way diminishes our ability to have absolute confidence and absolute peace in his goodness, in his promises, in his providence, in the midst of what it is that we're going through. However, challenging or trying that may seem. I want to read to you uh, a little piece called uh, Paternus who gives advice to his son and he says this, first of all my child think magnificently of God, magnify his providence, adore his power, pray to him frequently and incessantly, bear him always in your mind, teach your thoughts to reverence him in every place, for there is no place where he is not. Therefore, my child, fear and worship and love God. First and last, think magnificently of him. Isn't that incredible? Think magnificently of God. And he says there, bear him always in your mind. Teach your thoughts to reverence him in every place for there is nowhere here is not. We just read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I shall not want. In other words, I can live in a place where my consciousness of God, of who he is, and his presence with me is so powerful and so strong that I, my experience of life is one without lack. My experience of life, of everyday life, is one without fear because I have trained my brain, I've trained my thoughts to remember and to recognize God in the midst of whatever situation I am in, and in so doing, open up my heart to his all-sufficiency. And, and I think the Bible again and again, and you'd have heard it taught from, from not just our pulpit, but so many pulpits again and again on the importance of reflecting on God, on reflecting on the words of God, on meditating it. We know well, Joshua 1 verse 8, where God says to Joshua, he says, um, 
this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in a day and night and observe to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. And we, we see that this idea of God's providence, his grace, our prosperity, not just financially, but in all spheres of life, God ties it to his word, to his person, to his presence, where he says, be bold, fear not, I will go with you. Have that in your heart, have that in your mind, that no matter what you're facing, you're not facing it alone, but I am with you. And my words in your heart, in your mind, and in your mouth will not only sustain you, but will create for you the desired result. Will create for you the reality that you long to see. Dallas Willard says, what we place our minds on brings that reality into our lives. If we place our minds on God, the reality of God comes into our lives. The reality of God. And I really like that. And so I want to ask you this morning, whatever translation you've got, I'm going to be reading from the New King James. I want you to turn in your Bibles today to the book of Psalms, and we're going to read Psalm 103. And my entire message this morning is centered around this Psalm. We're going to read the whole thing top to bottom. We're going to unpack it along the way. I've thrown in a few extra scriptures for good measure just to help clarify some points. But this scripture for me this week, it's always been one of my favorites. It's one of my go-tos. You know, there's some places in the Bibles that Bible that are like a memorial to your heart. You know, when you need a, a fresh drink of the presence of God, when you need encouragement, when your spirit man needs fortification, there's certain places that you go. There's certain wells that you go to drink from. And this for me is, is one of those places, Psalm 103. And it's a song of David. We don't know exactly in the, the, the setting or when the psalm was written. Uh, there's some say it was uh, later on in his life after he'd overcome many of his struggles and things because he, he seems to be approaching it from a very pensive and experiential point of view. But for me, the words of this psalm provide tremendous encouragement and help me remember, first of all, that I'm a very small part in the grand scheme of things. That my relationship with God is, is, is experiential to me, but it's, it's only a very small part of this very big picture that God is overseeing. It's not all about me. There's this, this vast world that God has created with many of his sons and daughters, and he oversees the whole thing, and he holds it all together, and he is omnipotent over it all and omniscient. He knows everything about it. He's all-powerful over it all. But yet in the midst of this grand scheme, there is me, and God has a personal relationship with me as he does with you. He's got a love for humankind in a general sense, but he also has a love for you as an individual in a very personal sense. And he has a plan for you in a very personal sense. And he longs to reveal himself to you and make himself known to you in a personal way that demonstrates his goodness. And as we get into the psalm, we see David remembering, David reflecting, looking back over God's goodness and his faithfulness over his life. And it causes a song of praise to erupt from his heart, where he, in fact, commands himself, as we see in the first verse, where he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, 
all that is within me, bless his holy name. You see, David here calls upon his soul to bless the Lord. He's preaching to himself. He's directing his own heart to give a fitting tribute to God as he considers his goodness towards him. And, and what does it mean to bless the Lord? He says here, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. In other words, my whole heart, everything I've got. Well, to bless the Lord simply means to speak well of his greatness and his goodness and to really mean it from the depths of our soul. It's very easy to sing songs to God, isn't it? It's very easy to mouth off words like he is good. God, you're kind, you're merciful, you're gracious. You know, we can come up. You go to church for a little while. You learn Christianese, folks. You learn the things to say, but it's a very different thing. Where David is speaking to the core of his being here, he's not saying, I'm just going to mouth off praise to God. He's saying, my soul, my essence, who I am from deep down within me, you bless the Lord. Bless him from deep within you. Don't let it just be words, but draw deep from the well of your satisfaction in God. And he goes, and, and what else does it mean? It means that there's, to understand what it means to bless the Lord, it means that there, if you think about it, there is nothing that you or I can give to God or to offer God that is worthy of, of him or that can add something to him. You know, our, he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need it. There's nothing we can give to him that he goes, wow, this is such a blessing. I never had this before. He is all sufficient. But if you think about fatherhood, the greatest blessing of a father is to see his children enjoying, number one, enjoying what he has provided for them. That gives a father a sense of great blessing. But also number two, it's the gratitude of the children and their recognition for what the father has provided. In other words, they don't take it for granted. It's not just this, oh, you know, this is, thanks, dad, and you carry on, they carry on with life. It means that his love and his goodness are rightly valued. And so when I come and I look at the scripture and David's saying to himself, bless the Lord, I say to my heart, Michael, Remember what God has done for you and give him thanks. Don't take for granted his kindness of the past. Don't take for granted his forgiveness. It's not like something just happened once and you can now move on from that and you've now done things that you know God owes you for. No, no, no. Remember, this is far more than just you. There's a far bigger picture here. Remember his provision in times past. Remember his healing. Remember how he gave you an awesome wife. Remember how he looks after you every time you go somewhere in your car and how he's given you beautiful children. Remember him when you sit in your house and you want to dream dreams of all these things that you'd love to accomplish in, in your life. Well, that's all good and well, but, but remember who got you to where you are now. Remember and be very grateful knowing that it is the Lord who's blessed you. So he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Again, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And this is where I normally start getting stuck for a long time. Because when I start thinking of the benefits, <laughs> oh man, we could, we could spend ages in prayer giving God praise for the benefits of being his children. You know, the first thing we realize is that every benefit we have is undeserved. Every single one. None of them are earned. He starts off by saying, and when he says, sorry, when he says, forget not all his benefits, what he's talking about here is 
is deep heartfelt worship, but it's also very much rational worship. I think sometimes we, we diminish worship to just a fuzzy feeling inside or, oh God, thank you for your presence and that kind of thing. Worship is the result of revelation. Revelation is, is the entrance of divine enlightenment into our consciousness and our rationality. It means that we can see things and we can reason and we, when we see things from God's point of view, worship becomes the natural result. We see him for who he is. Worship is the natural result. We see what he has done. Worship is the natural result. Number one, who forgives all your iniquities. All your iniquities. Every single one. Even the stuff you struggle to forgive yourself for. Amen. Even the stuff you, you, you struggle to forgive yourself for. Folks, I, I, I want to... I just feel when I look back on my life, and I trust that you won't mind me being personal as I share this this morning, because this is where it really became impactful for me. And I know your stories will be unique to you, and I want to encourage you to work through those. But when I think of, of my past and the things God forgiven me, I see how contrived I could have, I, I was. I see how lost I was. I see how manipulative I was. And I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of who I was. And yet God has forgiven me of all of that. Every single wrongful motivation, every time I've used or abused somebody. The sins that really bother me about my past are not so much the things I've done wrong, being naughty, or, but it's where I have used or abused people because those are the most precious things in God's those are the weightiest things in God's heart and mind. And yet, when I remember those things, my heart fills with joy in knowing that I am fully and completely forgiven. Fully. All my shame is lost in the ocean of God's forgiveness. And we'll touch on that again a little bit later. The next point he says is, he who heals all your diseases. Every single one. Everyone. As I sit and I think about that, and I allow that reality, that revelation to sink down deep into my heart, I realize that my experience falls way below, my confession falls way below the promises of God, who longs to and is my, he longs to be and is my healing for every single disease. David puts no, he costs no limitations on God in these areas. He says, who redeems your life from destruction? You know, I just shared with you about my past. I realized that I was on a highway to hell. I was on a path of destruction. Um, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In other words, my best intents intentions to have a good life for myself would have ended in destruction because they were entirely selfish and God in his goodness bought me from that and gave me his life and set me on an entirely new path a path of righteousness a path of life that I get to walk out in his presence by his grace day by day fully aware of his 
presence with me and his providence over me. It is now a life leading to life, a life leading to everlasting life, a life that leads to blessing in me, through me, and eternally forevermore. He crowns me with loving kindness and tender mercies. You see, this crown of loving kindness and tender mercy is the nature of this new path that I am on. It's the nature of this new journey that God has got you and I on. Isn't that incredible? He forgives us of all our sin. He, he takes us from the path that looks good, that looks noble. It looks moral. It looks right. But its end is destruction. And he says, no, no, no. This is the way that you will go. This is my law. This is my way. Walk in this. And then from not the end, but from the very beginning, he puts a crown on our heads of loving kindness and tender mercy that enables us to walk this new road and taste of his goodness and experience his love in this life. What an incredible revelation. David goes on to say, he satisfies my mouth with good things. Now, this morning. My family and I had the joy and the pleasure of enjoying flapjacks for breakfast. I don't know about you. I don't know what your traditions are in your home. Those are a pretty big deal in our home. Okay. We, my kids ask for that regularly, either flapjacks or pancakes, at least two or three times a week. They don't get it two or three times a week, mind you. But it's been a long time since we've had anything like that. We had some this morning and there was jubilation and titillation in our home this morning. We all enjoy. He satisfied our mouth this morning with good things. You know, when you have a good meal, if you read Psalm 23, it says, it says he, he lays a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You know, when you have a good meal, it satisfies your heart. It satisfies you. You feel filled. You are, you are sufficiently blessed. And God satisfies our mouth with good things. He gives us good food. But I want to say more than that. Even more than that, because when I'm satisfied with good food, I digest it and it leaves me. That is it. It adds very little to me. But added to that, the fact that when God gives me his words and I put his words in my mouth, I put his praises in my mouth, I put his promises in my mouth. My mouth in itself is satisfied with good things. The very word of God. He says to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1 verse 9. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. How many of you know when you start speaking God's words over your life, you are redirecting the destiny, the course of your life. You can change the destination, the, the orientation of your life just by putting God's words into your mouth. And you will satisfy your future today by putting the good things of God into your mouth. Isaiah 59 verse 21 from the Passion Translation says, This is my covenant promise with them, says the Lord Yahweh. From now on, my Holy Spirit will rest on them and not depart from them. That's that crown of loving kindness and tender mercy. And my prophetic words will fill their mouths and will not depart from them, nor from their children, nor from their descendants from now on and forevermore, says Yahweh. Wow. Talk about satisfying our mouths with good things. We get to perpetuate prophetically the goodness of God through the words that come into our mouths. We don't have to think them up. We don't have to dream them up. We don't have to conjure them. God gives them to us. It's his word. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
Now, what does he mean there? Your youth is renewed like the eagles. It's not. It's not that we become. You know, eagles are not all young. It's not. It's not some magic. Uh, what do we call it? Fountain of youth. Sorry, folks, if that's what you were thinking. But you could you could reference Isaiah here once again. Isaiah 40, verse 30 to 31. Even youths shall faint. Young men shall utterly fall. Folks, we're in a time and a season now where young men, youths, are fainting. Physically, their strength, their faith is waning. There, there is struggle, internal turmoil, trying to discern the will and the will of God for their lives, but trying to find it in all things around them. They're weak. They're drawn, they're depressed, they're struggling. But he says, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings like eagles. They as who wait upon him, who set their minds upon him, who fill their hearts and thoughts with his greatness, shall run and not be weary and shall walk and not faint. This is what we're talking about this morning. Let's move right along. Verse 6, the Lord executes righteousness. Righteousness is an executable. Think about that. Ponder on that. It is something that is done. It is not just a novel idea or a moral standard. The Lord executes righteousness. And he goes, and that means that we can trust in his unfailing righteous judgment. And he goes on to say, he executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. So again, we get this idea that in the midst of his and aware, our awareness of his righteousness, and his justice that even when we're feeling oppressed we know we don't need to fight for ourselves we can have peace in knowing that our god he's righteous and he executes his righteousness and he executes his justice even for those who are oppressed we can look to him with full expectation that he is fighting our battles, that he is working behind the scenes on our behalf to bring about righteousness and justice for his saints. Verse 7, he made, his way, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. Now, this one is a big one for me because I'd read this verse many times and it was only recently that I, I had a whole new understanding to the depth of this statement now you could say that the acts of god reveal the ways of god and you'd be right there is a measure of truth in that but i think we need to consider the analogy that god is using here he revealed his heart or his ways to moses but his acts to the children of israel if you read uh, keep your place there but if you go back to exodus chapter 20 verses 19 to 11, 19 to 21 where God gives his invitation to all the people of Israel. He comes down on the mountain. He presences himself in the cloud and he says, come up and be with me. He wants to draw us into his presence. But we read in 19 of Exodus 20 that the people said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we will hear, but let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. Don't be afraid of God. For God has come to test you that his fear may be before you, that you may not sin. In other words, God came to show himself to you that in the awe, in your awe of who he is, you won't walk in the ways of sin. His presence will enable you 
to walk in righteousness. And so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And as I meditate on this, I realize that hearts that seek after God's hand or his acts, as opposed to his heart and his ways, are hearts that remain loyal to themselves. We see there's a difference between Moses and the people of Israel. And when, when we are, and let's be honest, I know you can be a witness with me in this. When I think over my prayers, very often my prayers revolve around, Father, would you please? Father, come through for me in this area. Father, would you do that? I am looking for the hand of God. Is that in itself a sin? No, it is not. It's not. We God calls us to pray. He asks us to bring our prayers and supplications to him. So that's not a bad thing in and of itself. It's a good thing. But if that's the limit, then what is God to me? He's just some genie in a bottle that I come to because my heart is still loyal to myself. I want him to, to do what I need him to do for what I think I, you know, I need done. And, and we notice that this attitude is in our hearts because the, when the, because the result is that we become quick to murmur and to complain when things are not working out in our favor. And in so doing, that murmuring and complaining blocks us from accessing the very providence that we seek from God. It's amazing. It's a circle that spirals downwards and downwards. What is providence? Providence is God's wisdom and God's favor. It's the manifestation of his care and direction for us. We need the providence of God. But you see, when I come with a heart that's loyal to myself, and I don't get from God what I think I want or deserve, I start to complain. That very complaining is what cut the nation of Israel off from the providence of God. Um, I saw a definition on providence that said, God, especially when conceived as omnisciently directing the universe and the affairs of humankind with wise benevolence. Wow, that's quite a mouthful, but I love that definition. You see, the providence of God is wrapped up not in God's acts, but in God's ways. Did you get that? When we seek God's ways, we will discover his providence. When we seek God's acts, we discover signposts that point to him, but that can never in themselves fulfill us. They lead us to self-satisfaction and complaining. When I'm habitually focused on what I get out of it, then it's about me. And then there's a problem. You see, at the end of the day, God is not content with hiding himself from you. God longs to draw, to draw you into his presence, to give you an awareness of his presence as you walk out your day every day, knowing that he is who he says he is. Furthermore, in the, in, in the light of God's righteousness, in the light of his justice, and he just acts. Verse 8 says that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And so here we see that God is just, God is righteous, and in his justice and righteousness, he is merciful and he is gracious. Charles Spurgeon says, all the world tastes of his sparing mercy. Those who hear the gospel partake of his inviting mercy. The saints live by his saving mercy, are preserved by his upholding mercy, are cheered by his consoling mercy, and will enter heaven through his infinite and everlasting mercy.
The Bible tells us his mercies are new every morning and his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. God does not wake up in a bad mood. God doesn't need to be a morning person because he never sleeps. Can you imagine God woke up one day and was just peevish? He's just having a bad day. I have a headache. I've been listening to these people crying all day long. I've just had enough. I'm just tired. You and I get like that. God does not get like that. He goes on to say he will not always strive with us. In other words, God has no desire to, to, for lingering disputes and lingering contentions with you and I. Instead, he chooses mercy to put to bed anything that produces animosity between him and us that we may enjoy deep and lingering fellowship with him. And it says, nor will he keep his anger forever. I love verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Hallelujah and amen. Nor has he punished us according to our iniquities. And this is the marvel of God's mercy and his grace. Not only that we are spared from what we deserved, but that we receive that which we do not deserve. You see, God dealt with another according to our sins, that he may deal with us as sons and daughters. Isn't that incredible? We do not get what we deserve. Why? Because Jesus got what we deserve. That you and I can get what we do not deserve. Sonship and daughterhood in the kingdom of God. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. In other words, those who are in awe of him, those who worship him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I love that you, there is no limit to, to how far east is from west. You know, if you go north, there is a, if you keep going north, there is a point where north turns to south. Once you hit the pole, any direction you go in turns to south. But if you hit east, no matter how far east you go, you keep the east is still on your left or your west. Uh, the west is on the left. That's right. And no matter how far east you go, you keep going east. You can keep going east. East is never ending. And there's a couple of, of, of hymns that really beautifully articulate this, this revelation, this deep knowledge um, that, that David is pouring out in his song. There's a song called His Mercy is More by Keith and Kristen Getty. And I love it. He's, the, the, the opening word, opening verse is this. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient and all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins may be many. His mercy is more. I love that. There's another song we sometimes sing in our church called Highlands. Uh, it's a Hillsong song. And my favorite lines come in the third verse. It says, how far beneath your glory, as the heavens are above the earth, how far beneath your glory does your kindness extend the path from when your feet rest on the sunrise to where you sweep the sinners past, east to west. I love that. It is a beautiful analogy. And we started there. He brings it up again. That God attributes and remembers no sin. He has forgiven us completely. They are all tossed into the ocean of his divine forgetfulness. Verse 13, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And again, here to fear him, those who acknowledge him according to the truth of who he is, almighty God, 
He is the all-powerful creator. He is the righteous judge. In other words, those who come to him in reverent awe. And they desire to live lives that honor him. And soon realize that they're un unable to do so in our own strength. And that is why he pities them. That is why he gives us grace. You see, he measures his expectations of us. Why? Because he knows, verse 14, our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. I live a, a rich life with my kids and my wife, realizing that one day I won't be here anymore. I have a short period of time to convey to them love, to convey to them caring, loving kindness, the grace and the goodness of God, and to demonstrate that to them. I may not be remembered anymore, but what I sow into their lives can be remembered for all eternity. Consider, let's carry on. Verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments and do them. You see, here's one thing we do need to remember. These promises of everlasting love and mercy are given with conditions. The promises are made to those who fear him, to those who keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments and do them. You see, God invites us all to partake. He excludes nobody, but it's still our choice whether or not we will walk in these things. I come back to where I started. We choose whether or not we will continue to feed ourselves relentlessly with the things that are going on around us, or whether we will come and partake of the person and the word of God that gives us strength, hope, courage, faith, overcoming ability in the times that we are in. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Here he's reminding himself again, David, of the greatness of God, of his kingdom, that he is ultimate authority. And this is the message that Jesus himself came to demonstrate. And through his death and resurrection, to make effective in and through our daily lives, where he teaches us to pray, say, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now we come to the finale of the psalm, where David has looked back. He said to his soul, bless the Lord and remember, forget not the benefits of relationship with him. And after going through a whole list of things in his own heart, which I've unpacked a few for you, and you would unpack so many more in your own context, he says, again to the big picture, bless the Lord, you his angels. You who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, all creation, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. The psalm ends as it begins. David saying, I will join in with this song. I will not let the rocks cry out on my behalf. I will not be silent. 
I will bless the Lord. I will remember his favor, his providence, his mercy, his forgiveness. And folks, this morning, David and I invite you into the same song. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Do not be silent. Ponder, meditate, think about the greatness of your God, the faithfulness of your Father, not just today, but every single day. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.